up and give them an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. So, Father, we come to you, your word today to be built up and to build up our inheritance so that we learn how to live in a way, such a way that is honoring to you, good for us, and a witness to the world. So help us in these times, these next minutes, we pray, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. I think this is the last in the series, 18 weeks on faith. The definition of Christian life is that the just shall live by his faith or her faith. It's quoted five times in the New Testament. We'll look at that in a minute. Jesus said, have faith in God. Faith in God through Jesus' Son, by the Holy Spirit, according to the truth. To Scripture, not to some private revelation, some, some vision, some dream, but Scripture. And anything the Holy Spirit brings by way of revelation will always accord with Scripture, because who inspires Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Is he going to work against himself, say one thing and then another thing? No. So it's according to truth. And faith is not a power we operate. You know, people talk about the force of faith, and you know, no. And, and it isn't just focused upon an outcome, like projecting your faith upon this to happen. It's upon God, because he is the one who makes, works all things. So faith is Godward. Today, I want to, okay, okay, maybe the last sermon in the series, I think it is. So, talking over breakfast yesterday, Joe and Colin helped me to come to the title for this one, which is Faith to the Finish. That wasn't my original title, but it occurred to me as talking to them. That was a better title, Faith to the Finish. The word faith appears in our English Bibles only a couple of times in the Old Testament, but many times in the New Testament. The Old Testament Hebrew references to faith are mostly translated as faithful or faithfulness. So God is faithful, but it's the same word as faith. And in fact, the New Testament Greek words are usually translated as faith, but also have that same meaning, faithfulness or steadfastness. The Lord is, is repeatedly described in Scripture as being faithful to his people. But what, when he made covenant with them, the old covenant, the covenant required them to be faithful to him, to his covenant, to obey his law, to keep his commandments. When we come to the New Testament Scriptures, we find the word faith. But depending upon the context, it can also mean faithfulness. In other words, Christian faith is not a fixed one-off thing. It's constant. It's enduring. It, 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 it continues. It's obedience to the Lord, maintaining right relationship with Him. So it's time we had a look at that Hebrews 2, Habakkuk 2 Scripture in a bit more detail. I'm going to read it, the context, a few verses either side. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, wait, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, or the proud man. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, he, the proud man again, transgresses by wine. He is a proud man and he does not stay at home because he enlarges desire as hell or shield. He's like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. So the whole context is God's judgment coming upon a proud man who's a foreign ruler, an oppressor of Judah at that time. But right in the middle comes this little comparison. He's like that, but the just, the righteous person, 
will live by his faith. Five times in the New Testament, all by Paul, because I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Once in Romans, three times in Galatians. I might go through Galatians and starting in a week it is done. Um, three times in Galatians and once in Hebrews. Here it is in Hebrews. Therefore we do not cast away our confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he, he quotes a little bit from Habakkuk and adds a bit more. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The just do not just live by faith, but by faithfulness. There's progression, continuation in it. We're not born again and then wrapped up in cellophane and put on a shelf until Resurrection Day. Some of us might wish that were so. We're called to live a life of faith, to walk in a lifestyle of faithfulness towards the Lord. But some do draw back. Some give up, opt out, or just get stuck. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we are given the parable that Jesus told about a sower and the seed and the soils. I'm going to read to you from part of Luke's account. I think I can do it on the screen rather than in my notes. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some, fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Now, interestingly, Jesus spoke parables like, and that was it. That's all people heard. But later on, with the disciples, they'd ask him or he'd offer the gospel, and he'd explain the parable to them. But the crowd never heard the explanation. They left going, what was that about? Here's Jesus explaining it. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, or the word of the gospel, it also says. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, but the devil comes and takes the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. It never really gets stuck there. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Hey, this is great. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation. And temptation, we just need to understand, it's an old English word. It just means trouble. You understand the word trouble, don't you? In a time of trouble, they fall away. And the ones who are among thorns are those who, when they've heard, go out and are choked with cares riches, pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. <clears throat> but the ones on whom the, good the seed fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Jesus talks elsewhere about seed and soil. He tells a parable about the, the, seed, the, the wheat and the weeds. And he's, he talks about, you know, the man went out to sow and he sowed good seed, but weeds grew up. And, he, and when they grew up, they said to, his servant said, should we take the weeds out? No, you'll, you'll harm the wheat. Leave them there till harvest time. 
But they said to him, who did this? He said, the enemy did this. The enemy came and sowed the, the, the weeds. Jesus said, explained the parable, he said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children, the gods, the sons of the kingdom. You can read children if you write. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. That second parable gives a stark contrast between wheat and weeds, but the seed and the soils gives a more subtle, layered story. Four kinds of soil producing different responses to the seed of the word of God, the word of the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew's version, even the fruitfulness is measured. There are some who produce 30-fold. So every seed produces 30 seeds. Yes, you get the idea? Simple as that. 60-fold, one produces 60, or 100-fold, one produces 100. Some people hear the gospel of God's Son and it doesn't make the slightest difference to them. They might as well have never have heard it. However, they are accountable for having heard it. No sooner have the words gone into their ear than they're gone again. It is possible for someone, though, to respond to the gospel, to confess faith, perhaps, but then either give up and go away because of the difficulties in this world, trouble, and if you become a Christian, you've got a whole new set of circumstances because the world doesn't love Christians. Or settle into an unfruitful existence. You're just stuck. You're there, but you're not doing anything, going anywhere, producing anything. And that's because of not distress or trouble, but because of distractions, the things that are in this world. Some go away. They give up. They go away. Paul writes about a man who was once one of his co-workers. In Colossians of Philemon, Paul sends greetings from himself and others, including a man called Demas. But in 2 Timothy, he writes, to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatians, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. But Crescens has gone as part of the mission and Titus has gone as part of Paul's mission, but Demas has given up on the thing. Loved this present world. He was distracted and deceived and diverted from being faithful and fruitful. What are these diversions? Well, to combine the three Gospels together where they have different words used, let me put them all together. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Did you know that money is tricksy? Mm -hmm. The pleasures of life and the desires for other things enter in and choke the world. word and he becomes fruitful. Some people go so far away they deny the faith they once said they had. Even good soil isn't all the same. Fruitful, faithful people are not equally so. Jesus taught these things. How embarrassing. We've got this idea, everybody gets saved and they'll get stonking well saved. You know, you're like, oh, that's it, everybody's saved. You know, someone makes a decision, we go, oh, you're yeah, saved now. You know? It's like, whoa, Jesus says it doesn't always happen like that. Those of us who have been Christian for a good while have seen it happen. Now, I'm reformed in my theology, what some call a Calvinist. I believe in the sovereign grace of God, the sovereignty of God, who from the beginning chose us, in time gave his son for us, 
again in time, in, came and invaded our lives and called us to himself by his power, by his grace. Gave us new birth. So the, the whole business of my becoming a Christian wasn't, wasn't my figuring it out and making a choice. It was God who did it. As a very new Bible, uh, believer, I read the Bible avidly. I, I realized I didn't know the Bible very well, so I read chapters and chapters a day, getting it into me. Believing that what it was telling me, even though it was sometimes a struggle to, to, to adapt to my thinking, to the truth. Then I went to college and I came across people who didn't agree with what I understood. And they gave me a label, you're a Calvinist. And I said, oh, what? I didn't know what one was. But that's what I was. Because I'd read the Bible and I believed what I was reading there. John Calvin, by the way, was a great Bible scholar and former in Geneva, Switzerland, in the first half of the 1500s. I believe in the eternal wisdom and grace of God that chose us before he made the world, sent his Son to be our Savior, called us by his grace through the gospel, gave us new birth through the Holy Spirit, and will both preserve and prepare us to share in his eternal kingdom and glory. The reason I believe, the reason I'm a Christian is not because I decided or chose to do so. In fact, I spent years hiding and running from God. But because God laid hold of me by his grace. He overthrew me by his might. He dumbfounded me by his wisdom and he embraced me by his love. So I believe in the doctrines of sovereign grace, not to adopt a system, a theological framework, but because most of the points of what people call Reformed or Calvinistic theology are actually simply for me what I read in the Bible. Based chiefly upon the words of Jesus himself, I do not believe that one of those the Father has given to Jesus, the Savior, from eternity, can be lost. Go and read it, John's Gospel. That doctrine is called by some people the preservation of the saints, by others the perseverance of the saints. Preservation means God keeps them. Perseverance means they keep faith. Do you know what? Both are true. Both are true. Those whom God preserves are those who persevere. You are kept by the power of God through faith. It isn't your persevering that does the keeping. God does the keeping. But as you remain in faith and are faithful to him and to his covenant, which, by the way, is now a new covenant. You're not under that law, obviously. So you are being kept by the power of God through faith. He preserves them, not by keeping them from every trial, every bit of trouble, but by taking them through those times, helping them to endure, to remain faithful. When they stumble and fall, he will lift them up again. That's his covenant grace. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story to provoke us to pray, to ask, to seek, and to knock, and not lose heart. Here's the story. That's at the end of it. We'll get there in a minute. He spoke a parable to them that men and women are always to pray and not lose heart. That sounds very apt, doesn't it? We all need to hear something that will help us to pray and not give up. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, give me justice from my adversary. There was somebody who was wanting to collect the husband's debts and throw her out of the house, something like that. And he would not for a while pay attention to her, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will give her justice. 
because she's wearing me out by keeping coming to me. Then the Lord said to the disciples, hear what the unjust judge said. Now he is not saying that God the Father is like that judge, but he's saying we need to be like the woman. Got it? And shall not God avenge his own chosen ones who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them, though in other words he doesn't act quickly? I, will tell, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily when that moment comes. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now what a statement that is. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, what kind of faith is he talking about? Persistent faith. Enduring faith. The Lord Jesus is looking for faithfulness, steadfastness, endurance. Faith that is not flaky, fickle, fussy, or fuzzy. Well, I I believe in something. But rather faith that is fixed, focused, following Jesus. Faith that is not based upon circumstances, but on conviction and conscience and confidence. Freedom in Christ again. Faith that, like love in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Faith, faithfulness does that too, as well as love. So here are some pointers to faithfulness. First one is fix your gaze. Sorry, did you see that? Fix your gaze. You know, uh, there's a auction program, lunchtimes on TV, uh, uh, auction thing, uh, bargain hunt. Bargain hunt. That's right. Sometimes on if I'm cooking lunch. Bargain hunt. There's an auctioneer there who, when he's when he's doing digital, says, "Look at me! Look at me!" He wants, to, he wants to get them to fix the deal. He's like, don't look away. No, you, what, as long as you're looking at me, we might, get, we might get this deal, right? Fix your gaze. What does Scripture say? Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great, this is Hebrews 12, great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, the one who started it. I didn't start it. He started it. He brought me to this. He's going to finish it. Faith to the finish. Who's going to finish it? Jesus is. He's going to help me arrive at the finish. He's going to help you keep going to the finish. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised and shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Fix your gaze. Look up. Lift your head. When you're looking down, you're more likely to stumble looking down than looking ahead. You know that? If you're so concerned about your next little tiny step, you you don't really get very far. You fix your gaze further down. You're looking at Jesus who brought you into this life of grace through faith. And we'll bring you through it. And we'll bring you to the finish line. You're not competing against anybody else, by the way. This isn't a race against your brothers and sisters. This is just a race that you run to finish. I have run the race. I will gain the prize. 
Fix your gaze. Then stay close. Stay close. Because the Bible uses those expressions of those who fall away, depart, drift. Beginning of Rome, uh, Hebrews, it talks about drift. In fact, those people weren't drifting. They were going, going very, very serious astray. But Paul uses a very gentle term when he says they're drifting. The phrase backsliding, you know that word, don't you? It's found in Scripture. It's used to describe by the prophets uh, the, the picture of the rebellion of Israel and Judah against Yahweh. It wasn't just, you know, oh, I've lost my way a bit here. They were, they were resisting him and rebelling against him. The picture is not of, of kind of, I've, I've got a bit, I've lost my foot, foot away a bit, I've lost my journey. The backsliding thing is like a ram or a bull, a big strong animal that will not be led. It, the man's trying to lead it, farmer's trying to pull it, and it's, the heck I am. That's backsliding. All right? And people do sometimes deliberately turn away. They don't drift away. So whatever you may think the word salvation and saved means, stay close. The place of safety is to stay close to the Savior. You can put down there, my Savior. Mark it down. Memorize it. The place of safety for me is to stay close to my Savior. Don't let being saved or the fact you are saved be an objective truth to you. Just, oh, I believe that's true. Let that be a continuing, renewed experience. Jesus is now my Savior. Stay close to Him. And thirdly, hold on. Hold on. Years ago, when Carol and I were part of New Frontiers, we were at a conference. Or, or, I don't know if Carol was with you at the conference. It was a leadership conference. Maybe you weren't. But there was a South African worship leader there from Cape Town, the New Frontiers Church in Cape Town. And they sang a song, which is, I think is Swahili. You're going to tell me it isn't, one of you, in a minute. And the words are Bambalela. And there's a song, song to repeat, Bambalela, which means hold on. Hold on. Bambalela, Bambalela. So it's sing and repeat. And then, it's, then it says, Could Jesus, Bambalela, to Jesus hold on. So we would say, Hold on to Jesus. No, to Je- I think they, 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 to Jesus, Bambalela. Right? Guess what? When we, close, when we close the meeting, we won't close the live stream. We're going to play that song, put those words up there, and we'll have a go at it together. So. Could Jesu Bambalela hold on to Jesus? Hold on. There are times when you've got no choice. All you can do is hold on. Why does it take trouble to get us there again? Where we should be. Staying close, holding on. Hold on to his word, to his truth, to his promise. Hold on to the things that he's already said to you in the past, that you know he's spoken to your, into your being. Hold on. That's the message of Hebrews, and there isn't time to preach it all. It says here in, Corinthians, in Hebrews again, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. In other words, what Paul's saying, hold on to your confidence. Hold on to the things you know to be true. 
You believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead and that he's risen exalted above all things. Hold on. Because your holding on has great reward. You've need of endurance. You've just got to keep on going because God will help you to get through. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. By the way, those who are here and those maybe I saw on camera, you maybe saw... Um, um, Victoria dancing around the room. Do you know why? Because she has come through a great time of trial. And she wanted to give thanks. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God you may receive the promise. The just shall live right way. If anyone draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those. Why don't you read that with me? Read the whole verse. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Do you believe that? Yes. You are not one of those who's going to give up and go away. And, no. You set your heart on being faithful, on living by faith, to the saving of the soul. You are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved by the grace of God through Jesus. You hold on. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, you spoke the truth to us, the truth even about these different measures of response to the gospel. There is one measure which is the good one. We receive your word, the word of your promise, the word of the gospel. We believe it in our hearts. We confess that Jesus is Lord and we begin to be fruitful and faithful to you. And we can grow in that and we don't, need to think, oh, I'm only a 30 person and give up. No, we don't know what measure we have until we keep on going. We keep our gaze fixed and we stay close and we keep holding on. So, Lord Jesus, may your word guide us and feed us bread from heaven to us through this next week or so. May my brothers and sisters grow in the grace of God. Grow in the truth of God, which is able to sanctify them and give them an inheritance. Thank you, Father. Let me just say again, if you are not yet a Christian, you need to surrender yourself to him. There's a, there's a, time, a first time in your life when you need to say, Jesus is Lord. And that is not just, oh, he's up there and he's exalted and he's running things. It's a personal statement. You say, I submit myself to King Jesus. I submit to, to him to be my God and my Savior and my Lord. Right. Would you take a moment to do that before we move on into breaking bread? Actually, Con's going to come and lead us in some prayer as well. Take a moment. Bring your prayer. Maybe your prayer response as a Christian, as a believer, to what you just heard. Bring your prayer, your little prayer to God right now in a few moments of quietness and then Con's going to Lead us in a prayer for some people.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Would you sit up and listen while Colin leads us in? Sorry, I thought I'd done it. Did it. George has been here in the past, by the way. Sobering news at the end of a day that started with a joyful breakfast together. Yes. We're going to break bread again. Take you a little cup. 